Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. So my wife and I started watching a show called Alone. If you haven't seen it, basically it's where they take 10 people and they give them 10 items and they drop them in a remote location to survive as long as they can. It's a competition against each other. So whoever makes it the longest wins. And the winners can go as long as 80 days out alone with no contact with anybody. Each season, there are a few people who drop out because they just don't have the survival skills to to be out there. But the other seven to eight of them They drop out because of loneliness. Through the duration of their time alone, they aren't allowed to have any human contact. So for 80 days, that's a long time. And it's crazy to see how hard anything, doing anything alone really is. Being alone does a couple of different things to us as human beings. First, it causes us to lose confidence. We begin to question things more. We question who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, and we lose sight of God's plan in our lives. The second thing that happens is that we become extremely inwardly focused and selfish. When we live alone for a long period of time, we get set in our ways of doing things, our love for others wanes, and our bitterness towards others can grow instead. Finally, the third thing that kind of happens to us whenever we are alone for long periods of time is that depression and anxiety can set in. Feeling alone causes us to begin to overthink things and panic about things that we really shouldn't. And did you know that in our society, so a recent study came out this past year, that seven out of 10 people feel lonely. Before this past year, that was about five out of 10. Now, as a result of COVID and other things in the world, about 70% of Americans feel alone. And that's a lot of people who feel that way. Not only uh, that, but we also see other studies that show that being completely alone can actually lower your life expectancy by 15 years on average. So how do we avoid feeling alone? Well, let's pray today that God would reveal that to us. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we just humbly ask that you would speak through your word, Lord, that you would speak through Uh, me, Lord, it would be your words, not mine, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us learn how to be in correct relationship with you, Lord, in relationship with others. Lord, would you help bring clarity uh, to these topics today. Lord, we love you, and we ask your blessing. In your name we pray, amen. So today, as we continue our message in plot lines, we're going to be taking a look specifically at the Battle of Jericho in Joshua 6. Before you turn there, I'll fill you in on a little bit of context for today's passage. So, some of you might be familiar with the Battle of Jericho. If not, basically over 3,000 years ago, the Israelites were in slavery to Egypt. And last week, Chris shared the story about Joseph and how he had, God had elevated him to a great position in Egypt because of his faithfulness and humility. And he was able to save countless lives including his family, the family of Israel. And so they all joined him in Egypt, but hundreds of years after Joseph died, 
the Israelites were thrown into slavery by an evil Pharaoh. And then God used a guy named Moses to lead all those Israelites out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and move them towards the promised land of Canaan. God promised that land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the Israelites. And after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness, in between Egypt and Canaan. And there they created the tabernacle, they received the Ten Commandments from God, and the next thing that God was going to do was bring them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. So, in preparation, Moses sent out 12 spies to go ahead. And they went into Canaan and they scoped it out. And 10 out of the 12 came back and they were terrified. They saw people who were huge. They saw people who were super tall and super strong. And so were the cities there. But the two spies that reported that God's land was beautiful and that God would allow them to move into that land, they were both named Caleb and Joshua. And as a result of the 10 spies and ultimately the decision by Moses to not lead the people into Canaan, it angered God and he punished the Israelite people as a result of their lack of faith. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as a punishment. And the only two adults at the time who would enter into Canaan were Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who spoke with faith. So this is where we're picking up here in Joshua. Basically the 40 year clock was up. Moses had passed away, so had all the other generation that had to stay in the wilderness. And now Joshua was anointed the new leader of the Israelite people. The moment had finally arrived. After 40 years of waiting in the wilderness, this time of tribulation, it was over. Joshua was instructed by God to lead the people into the promised land, in the land of milk and honey, the land that was promised to Abraham so long ago. And man, were the Israelites ready for it. Seeing the failure of their parents, not going to the promised land whenever God instructed them to years before, the Israelites prepared and were eager for this opportunity. They had learned from their father's mistakes. And though they probably had some hesitancies and were afraid, they didn't want to deny the opportunity and die in the desert like their generation before them did. But they had a problem. You see, the first city in the land of Canaan on their journey uh, was Jericho. It was a huge, it was a city with huge high walls. It wasn't much of a big city, but to our knowledge, it was the first majorly fortified city ever on earth. So Joshua learning from Moses' mistakes, he sends only two spies here. And he sends two spies in to the city of Jericho to scout it all out. And here's what they heard from a prostitute named Rahab there. She lived in the city, not Israelite. Uh, let's check out her response. So in Joshua 2 verses 9 through 11, it says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you, the Israelites, has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above, and on earth below. So this is a woman who was not Israelite. She didn't know about all these stories that uh, the Israelites did. They didn't, she didn't know God the way that they did. And yet she knew of the reputation and what was coming. They knew 
that Jericho had been devoted, was going to be devoted to God. So God prepared the way for them. And the Israelites could have full confidence in hearing Rahab's account. So let's read on in the story in, in Joshua 6. If you turn in your Bibles there with me, uh, let's pick up in verse 1 here. And it says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. When the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. With the priests blowing the trumpets, when you hear the sound of a long blast of the trumpets, have your whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So God gives pretty specific instructions here. And that wasn't by accident. So God was making it very clear that he would uh, take Jericho by his power in leading, not by the power of the people. The seven days marching around the city was recalling God's seven-day creation story. And when the presence of the ark, uh, whenever they were holding it, that was to communicate that God was with the army. The ark was a symbol of God's presence. So, pretty clear instructions, right? All they had to do was take their army, the ark of God, seven priests with the horns, and march around a city one time per day. And the city of Jericho was about 12 acres of land total. So you can see it here. Um, so it was only really two miles all the way around. So it would take somebody really about an hour, like one person to walk around this whole city it would take about an hour. But <laughs> one thing I forgot to mention is that the Israel army was 40,000 men. That's a lot more people that had to make their way around the city. Sounds like an organizational nightmare. And it would have taken a very long time. I can't even get both my boys to pick up their toys at the same time, let alone I can't imagine 40,000 people trying to march around a city uh, once per day and then seven times in one day. So let's continue reading uh, in verse 6. Let's pick it up. It says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance. March around the city with an armed guard. Go ahead of the ark of the Lord. Then Joshua had spoken to the people. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew their trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. So not only did they need to do all this and march around a city with 40,000 people, but they needed to do it silently. Now, there's probably a couple different reasons that Joshua instructed the people to do this. The first being that he didn't want people complaining. Because let's be honest, we as human beings are quick to complain about something. So, 
40,000 people walking, marching around a city, man, you thought the line at the DMV was bad, this would be way worse. Man, people would have been saying, what the heck are we doing walking around? It's been three days, nothing's happened yet. Man, this is stupid, Joshua's lost his dang mind. There's no way that I'm gonna keep doing this stupid thing. If God really wanted to bring these walls down, why wouldn't he just do it the first day? Why would we have to keep on doing it for six more days? It doesn't make any sense. So that, that obviously would have caused some grumblings and people probably would have lost focus. So with that grumbling, with those other things, I think Joshua's instruction for them to be quiet was actually a really good thing because they probably would have given up very early otherwise. And he probably realized it. He probably realized about that with obeying God. Sometimes it's good just to shut up and do what God's telling you to do. Sometimes reading your Bible, praying, sometimes it's good to just not have to talk about it and just get in and do it, just like the Israelites did here. Let's continue on in verse 12. It says, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven pre trumpets went forward marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on, on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. So how exactly did uh, 40,000 troops follow these uh, pretty difficult instructions to do all this? How did they persevere through the toughness of being able to do it? How did they keep their faith that God was actually going to do what he said he would? I think it starts, I think one thing, they did it together, but not just together, they were unified. Where there is unity, people are in agreement and act together for a particular purpose. They acted as one, the nation of Israel altogether. At the beginning, I shared about how loneliness and being alone can cause a lot of issues, and especially can cause a lot of issues for us as Christians. Without others in our lives, godly people in our lives, it can be hard for us to follow through on what God commands us. Isn't it true that once you start a diet, it's way, way easier to do it with a friend? Or going to the gym, isn't it much more motivating to go with somebody else as well? The same goes for telling others about Jesus. The same goes for reading our Bibles. Hence why Bible studies and community groups are so helpful. Uh, while we are called to pray at all times and many times alone, read our Bible alone and some other things, we see that there's great power in praying with others. This leads us to the second thing I think that the Israelites had. They had faith. So unity encourages faith. It doesn't create faith, but it does encourage it. The Israelites had been given this confidence that the city was theirs from the 40 years of waiting and also to the report given to them by Rahab. The city was theirs already. And God was with them through it all. So what has God promised you in life? Well, I know one thing for sure. God promises you Jesus. He's promised me Jesus. He's promised everybody Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. Because of that, 
We've been promised eternal life with God in heaven. We have that assurance as Christians. We know that. We see it through God's word and we've seen evidence in people's lives. So a quick story, whenever I was 12, I got baptized. I was baptized in an RV park pool in Texas, not the most glamorous of places. And two days later, my family sold our house and we traveled around the United States in an RV for an entire year. Here I was, an excited, brand new Christian. I was so excited about finally grasping what Jesus, who he was and what he had done for me on the cross. And then all of a sudden I left all the community that I had. We traveled around the US and I don't remember even going, even having a Bible in the RV. I don't remember having anybody with me who loved Jesus. See, I was the first one baptized, the first one to love Jesus in my family. My sisters, my parents, they didn't do it. So my faith began to wane and my excitement disappeared. It wasn't until we moved back to Texas that I got plugged in with a great community of believers. And I remember my faith growing exponentially from that point. Without, without a community of believers, we can lose sight of what God is doing in our lives. The third thing I think the Israelites did was they had perseverance. How quick are we in culture today to just give up whenever things get tough? We prefer to take the easiest path of resistance. Once something gets hard, we just say, man, ain't nobody got time for that. But look at what the Israelites had to do. They lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And when they marched around a city, they overtook it within a week. Their lives were much harder than ours today. And yet they had extreme perseverance. Why was that? because they had faith that God was going to deliver on his promise. And how could they be sure in their faith? They had a community of other people who believed the exact same thing, and they were able to encourage one another. So unity encourages faith. Faith produces perseverance. When life tempts you to sin, being with others can help you encourage you not to sin. The Israelites, when taking over Jericho, they had each other to rely on. If a soldier stepped out of line or if he got confused on what he was supposed to do, a soldier could link arms with him and pull him back in on the track and keep them focused on the goal that God had before them. This is why it's so important to be in a church body. Now, yes, uh, you might be saying, but Tyler, you're a pastor. You're pretty biased. Uh, yeah, I am at the moment. <laughs> but 10 years ago, I moved out here to Colorado from Texas to go to college. And I only knew two people at the time. And you know what the first thing I did was? I found a church to be a part of. So I've been valuing this for a while because I've experienced the opposite. Remember whenever I shared about me getting baptized, I've experienced what life alone is like. So, and I was a part of that church out here in Colorado for almost eight years. I married my wife there. I knew the importance of being part of a church body. And we valued that because we've tried to be alone. And my faith became weak. My perseverance disappeared. But now, with others, I know that our faith can grow. Without others, our faith wanes and our perseverance disappears. Going through a tough time is just better together. Just like the Israelites, they probably were so confused. Why they were marching around the city of Jericho, they had never done this before. They'd never won a war this way. You see, they've won a war, won a war by fighting. But because they were together, they were able to persevere through a tough task of conquering a fortified city. So as a church, we try to do the same thing. In the same way that it's beneficial for you as an individual to be a part of a church body, and you're called to do so in scripture, we've also found it incredibly helpful in planting a church by linking arms with other churches who want to tell people about Jesus.
Hey, Connect Church. My name is Mike Surratt, and I'm the executive pastor here at Front Range Christian Church. And we're very excited with our partnership with Connect Church because uh, we love helping support church plants here in Colorado and along the Front Range because we believe that the best way to spread the gospel here in Colorado is through the local church and through planting of many local churches. So we're extremely excited to be partnering with Pastor Chris and the team over there and love what you guys are doing to help reach the people in your community. So we're excited what God's doing and can't wait to see what's next for Connect Church. Hey, Connect Church, Scott Toppy here from East Point Christian Church in Portland, Maine, church family that Chris Flathers is actually from. We're so excited about what God is doing with you and what he has planned for you in the, in the future to reach unchurched people for Jesus. It's exactly what we're doing in Portland, Maine, to try to reach people who are desperate for the gospel, to hear the saving grace message of Jesus that welcomes them into a forever family. We're, we're thrilled to be able to have partnered with you from the very beginning when Connect Church first began. We look forward to hearing what God has in store for you guys in the, in the days ahead and, and look forward to the reports coming back. Thanks so much for letting us be a partner church. God bless you guys. Thank you, Mike and Scott, for your partnerships with Connect Church. As Mike shared, he's the executive pastor of Front Range Church, and they've helped mentor us, they've helped financially support us, and they share great advice about planting a church in the area. Their church is in Castle Rock, and they did it about six years ago, and they are actively helping people discover faith in Jesus. The exact same thing we want to do. Scott, the lead pastor of East Point out in Maine, they're our largest financial supporters. Both Chris and Jake were a part of East Point, and they've learned a lot about how to change lives together. And we're extremely grateful for both of those churches. We're also grateful for other churches like Journey Church, uh, Southeast Church, Mountain View Church, and a couple others in the area who help provide advice. We get to keep tra our trailer in their parking lot. They've helped us financially. And it's been really cool to see a multitude of churches come alongside us and other churches from a kingdom focus. The mission of us telling others about Jesus isn't easy. And honestly, planning a church throughout COVID has felt like an impenetrable city to conquer, just like Jericho. So uniting with other churches and linking arms uh, who are kingdom-minded, we've been incredibly thankful and it's been incredibly helpful for us. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, no, nah, I'm good. No, I like being alone. I don't need other people in my life. Other people just slow things down. They just end up hurting me. They say mean things. I'm better off alone. Well, yes, there are some things to do better alone. Going to the bathroom, I think we can all agree that's something that is better alone. But there are times where reading your Bible, spending quality time with God, those are some good things to do alone. But there's also times where we need to do that together. And when life gets hard, when you feel tempted to look at something on your phone that you're not supposed to look at, when you want to talk bad about somebody behind their back, when you want to lie or embellish what really happened to cover your butt, when your parents end up getting cancer, when you go through something hard, it's better to do it with people who are around you and who love Jesus and they love you. We aren't designed to go through life alone. Life's hard enough, so why would we do it alone? When life gets hard, remember, you actually are never alone. For one, God's always with you. He loves you, so seek him. And there's a, a church full of people here at Connect Church who would love 
to talk to you and link arms with you, to pursue Jesus together and to help support you in life. So as we head into a time of reflection, reflect on what Jesus did on the cross for you. Because here's the deal, perseverance and faith is not possible without Jesus. When life gets hard and you feel like giving up, when you feel lonely, look around. There's people all around in churches in the area and our church included that they don't wanna see you go through whatever it is that's causing you stress and pain alone. They wanna do it with you. So remember, Jesus died on the cross for all of your sin. So let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we come before you and we are thankful for the way that you have loved us despite our failures. Lord, that you are with us through every tragedy, through every tough time, through every tough thing in life. Lord, you're with us and we're grateful that we can be united with you. Lord, would you bring people into our lives that we can unite with? Whether it's through a community group, through a church, through friends and family members. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to link arms with others who love you to continue to push forward when life gets hard. Lord, be with us today. We thank you for your word for this time. And we praise you.